The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary, the podcast about tending the soul of women, sisterhood, and the rise of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Arlia Hoffman. Hi there, this is Arlia. This podcast is brought to you by the Women's Sanctuary. The Women's Sanctuary is an organization I founded six years ago to bring sacred practice and counseling to women centered on the sacred feminine. Today I want to talk about power and how we live it as women, express it, use it, embody it. I was looking over some notes scribbled at 4 a.m. a few months ago, and usually when I find those, I'm like, wow, I said that? Well, I didn't say that. It came through me, because clearly at 4 a.m. I'm not thinking about keys to our own feminine power. (laughs) Not likely. So among other things, I ran across this little note, and it said 4 a.m. because I tend to tell myself when some some brilliance came through me. So I'm going to talk about those today. First, let's consider power. I heard recently someone say, the women's empowerment movement is not about bringing power back to women because we already have power. It's about reclaiming the power we've always had that the culture has told us we don't. They haven't even stripped us of it. The culture hasn't stripped us of our power. We've given it away. And we've never known, most of us, how to stand in it and own it because nobody's ever modeled it for us or taught us how to do that. Some of the early feminist pioneers definitely gave us a great model for how to stand up and fight for our rights in society. And I'm not familiar with all the waves of feminine feminism. I think we're in our third or fourth wave. But I do know in my own experience that currently we're seeing women in their power expand that to include all the nuances of spiritual, personal, relational, and social power. And white women grappling with their own fragility and their own white supremacy, and how to let go of those false powers or those patriarchal powers and embrace the power of women with each other, how they can support women of color, how they can amplify those voices, 
how they can correct some of the wrongs of society and their own wrongs and my own wrongs in my own self-awareness of um, white supremacy and white fragility. So those types of pieces of work for women are coming to the surface. And thank God we need to clarify and cleanse our notions of power so that they're so much more closely aligned to what we've been innately given as humans and the unique power we've been given as women to tend, befriend, affect change in this world in a feminine way, in the ways that naturally come through us, whatever those are. So women embracing, embodying, and living their power is a constant evolution. And my fervent prayer is it continues till our society is transformed and we have a much more balanced culture of feminine and masculine power where they work together in balance and harmony. We're definitely not there yet. (laughs) But I do believe that part of our current chaos is leading us towards that. And it is a very challenging thing to stand in our own power in the midst of outer chaos. But that's what helps us do that. That outer chaos is the key to showing us where we've given away our power. I heard someone say the other day, you can't depend on the White House. You can't depend on the government. You can't depend on local elected officials. You have to be able to depend on yourself. You can depend on maybe members of your family. You can depend on good neighbors that you've made friends with. It is going to come back to the community, the micro-community, your nuclear family, your community of friends, your neighbors. Any community you are a part of, that's where the power is. That's where the power to affect change on the local level is. Okay, I'm going to get off this this social soapbox here in a moment. But I just feel so compelled to keep drawing that back to your attention. That whatever's going on on the world and national stage is important. But... It all comes back down to our personal power, how we're standing in it, how we're using it, how we're acknowledging it, and not giving it away. Totally take responsibility for who we are, how we got here, and how we move forward. So in that vein, when I ran across these notes from, I have no idea when, (laughs) months ago, maybe last year, about four keys to power, I thought, oh, how timely, how timely. And I'm going to be borrowing from Brene Brown. One of my favorite pieces of her work is Living Big. And that's an acronym for Boundaries, Integrity, and Generosity. And that's part of her larger boundaries work. 
So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And the other three keys, the first key we'll talk about is curiosity. The second key is openness. The third key is gratitude. And the fourth key is boundaries. But it's going to be boundaries with integrity and generosity. But I think they're all connected. And when you look at these four keys, curiosity, openness, gratitude, and boundaries, none of these are all that new. They may may not even surprise you. I love these concise pictures that help us navigate and find new ways to stand in who we are. So let's begin. A poem by Alistair Reed in the book Yowl, Selected Poems About Cats, with apologies to my dogs. Curiosity may have killed the cat. More likely, the cat was just unlucky, or else curious to see what death was like, having no cause to go on licking paws or fathering litter on litter of kittens predictably. Nevertheless, to be curious is dangerous enough. To distrust what is always said, what seems, to ask odd questions, interfere in dreams, smell rats, leave home, have hunches, it does not endear cats to those doggy circles where well-smelt baskets, suitable wives, good lunches are the order of things, and where prevails much wagging of incurious heads and tails. Face it, curiosity will not cause us to die, only lack of it will. Never to want to see the other side of the hill, or that improbable country where living is an idol, although a probable hell, would kill us all. Only the curious have, if they live, a tale worth telling at all. Dogs say cats love too much, are irresponsible, are dangerous, marry too many wives, desert their children, chill all dinner tables with tales of their nine lives. Well, they are lucky. Let them be nine-lived and contradictory, curious enough to change, prepared to pay the cat price, which is to die and die again and again, each time with no less pain. A cat minority of one is all that can be counted on to tell the truth, and what cats have to tell on each return from hell is this that dying is what the living do, that dying is what the loving do, and that dead dogs are those who never know that dying is what to live each has to do. I'm a big proponent of being an adult. So that I'm going to say we want the curiosity of a child. However, we are not children. We don't want to be children. And I even kind of rail against the phrase, a child of God. 
because I am held and nurtured by the universe, but I don't think there's much use in considering myself a child. But I will say this, the curiosity of a child is a precious gift. And if you can access that, maintain it, connect with a child, either your own or someone else's, or watch children at the park, their curiosity dominates. They are so curious about life and the things in front of them. And, you know, small kids are asking a multitude of questions. And that fuels their learning. Curiosity means you are not set in one way of looking at the world. You don't have a set way of saying, okay, life sucks. You get just got to barrel through it and tolerate it, right? Or, or, or life's a bed of roses and nothing ever goes wrong. Whatever viewpoint you are in, if you don't have curiosity, you are locking your energy and your heart and your mind into one viewpoint and there is no room for change. And change is what we've got. That's who we are. Change is the nature of the universe. And hold this paradox with me. The universe is completely reliable and ordered and doesn't change and is full of change at the same time. So curiosity keeps you alive to what's around you. It keeps you awake and observing and looking and questioning. In the shamanic practice, when we connect with other beings like trees, the standing people, it is your mind who approaches the tree and says, oh, that's an oak tree. Okay, yeah, it's an oak tree. But what is this thing in front of you, this being that's growing, shedding leaves, dying, putting out nuts. It is always a being in motion. It's always doing something. And if you can approach it with curiosity, you will discover things you never knew, such as, can you hear the life flowing through it? Can you feel the warmth of its leaves? Can you feel what it feels like for it to let go of its leaves in the fall? Can you connect with its fruit and enjoy it? It's, it's about being alive to your senses. A great exercise is to go out in nature and with, with open eyes, with fresh eyes as a child and look around you as if you've landed on this planet for the first time and see what you can discover about what's around you or to have a conversation with someone you know as if you didn't know them. That kind of curiosity keeps you young. It keeps your mind, your brain itself pliable, learning, um, changing, and in your energy system, it keeps things from getting locked down and stagnant. In the shamanic work, there's something called an assimilation point. 
It is the point through which all perception comes. So for someone that might be through your brain, through your thinking brain, from someone else that might be through their heart, someone else that might be through their body. But regardless, there's a certain perspective, the lens that colors everything that comes into your awareness. And through that lens, you make meaning out of those experiences. What is desired would be to have an assimilation point that is movable. If you understand that you are suddenly looking with an eye of judgment and you remove that, then your assimilation point moves so that you're perceiving and you're aware of everything going within you and without you through a fresh perspective. But if it is locked, and that can be physically and energetically, if it's locked in one place, you don't have the ability, there's no opportunity to learn something new. And so anything that is not consistent with your view of reality is lost. And so, you, as I said, you don't learn anything new. So curiosity keeps your energy field and your brain and your body and your heart open to new experiences and to learning, which takes us to our next key to power, which is openness. I'm going to attach to the show notes this song about being open, open to whatever this day may bring, open to receiving, open to knowing I am more than this body. Openness, again, keeps you from being closed down into one perspective. And if you are open, you can receive all of this information learn and make new decisions in any moment about what's true for you or what isn't based on the information you're receiving. But if you're closed down and locked in place, nothing new can get in and you're not available to change. An openness is, is an open hand. You can't receive anything with a closed fist. So to come to life, to each moment with an open hand, to say, I am open to whatever is here for me to experience, is a key to power. And I know there are people who say, wait a minute, (laughs) openness just means you are open to everything coming and going, and somebody can walk all over you and take advantage of you, and it's possible that could happen. Here's the paradox. The openness gives you the ability to respond from who you truly are. Those fixed responses, yeah, I'm fine today. How are you? That's a canned response that is not coming from your authentic self. Likely. Openness Can you feel it? Just sit up and expand your chest, open your hands, have them open to the ceiling, and just feel what that feels like. That's openness. And that doesn't mean you are any less powerful. That means you are not hiding from what is. 
what's right in front of you. If you're open, you can actually see it, experience it. And if you are standing in your power, then you have an opportunity to respond and not react. Do you know the difference? React is, um, the car stops short in front of me, so I have to I have to react and stop quick. That's a reaction. A reaction is instinctual. It doesn't require much thought, but a response gives you it is is something you choose in that moment. You get just a little bit of space. You choose how you're going to respond to that circumstance or comment or event consciously. So if someone says, you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny, <laughs> one, of my, one of the put-downs of I, I heard in my childhood, if you react in anger, there may be no f- moment of thought. That may be your instinctual reaction. A response is, take a breath, check in with your heart, and say, That's very funny. Don't take it personally and move on. Openness is I am not closed down, nor have I decided what is going to happen, nor have I created a future, let's say from the day ahead of me, that looks one way. I am open. And that requires flexibility, physical, mental, spiritual, energetic flexibility. Again, We're back to this assimilation point of the point at which everything comes into your awareness. Is it fixed or is it fluid? Ideally, you'd want it in your heart center with an open heart and few lenses, clear of the lenses that you can clear it of. Openness, openness. It can be a challenge but it can be definitely a key to your own power because you are are able to see and respond to whatever happens and be at choice with how you respond. Next is gratitude. And I've spoken about this before. I I will probably speak about this till the day I die (laughs) because it's historically a challenge for me and we teach what we have to learn, what we're given to learn. And as we learn it, we teach others. That's just, to me, that's a, that's a truth of life. I remember as my mother got closer to death and she was, you know, more honest than she would have been, sharing more stories from childhood than she usually would have. She would said to me more than once, you know, you were such a happy baby. You would just run up to me and grab my legs and say, I love you, mama. And I believed her, but I also, it also made me think, what happened to that little girl? What happened to that little girl who was so full of life and love and, and honesty and just being open? That openness And happiness. Where did that happiness go? I'm not an unhappy person, but at some point I learned very well 
how to criticize and complain and nitpick. And so I've, I've worked really hard to unpack that and let go of it and walk in gratitude. And it's still a practice. It is still a practice, let me tell you. At some point in my process, and I've, I've shared this story before, I was complaining to my teacher just on and on and on about my partner and their foibles and their flaws and woe is me. And she just looked at me and she said, gratitude builds personal power. And it stopped me in my tracks. Gratitude builds personal power? How in the hell does gratitude build personal power? I thought on that for months and I began to see that when you can operate from gratitude, you understand that you have the resources of the universe at your fingertips because the universe is just giving it to you all the time. You have everything. You have life, breath, sunshine, capabilities. You have a mind. You have a body that works the way it works. You have a myriad of gifts that are unique to you. And here you are having this experience. You are God having the experience of humanity in the flesh. Right? You're a spirit having a human experience. And from that perspective, that that upwelling of gratitude for what is and who you are and who you've been created to be, you are suddenly in control of what you do with that. No longer is it poor me, nobody loves me, nobody treats me right, I have so many problems. And, you know, the problems may all still be there. But suddenly, I am a magnificent being made of spirit, gifted, loved. I am the recipient of a hurricane of grace. Each morning the sun comes up and I have another opportunity to live and do it differently. That kind of deep, deep gratitude immediately puts you in your power. And that was one of the biggest gifts she could have given me, was to help me align with that, with my own power through the gift of gratitude. Gratitude's, you know, it's gotten a lot of airtime in the last few years, and that's great. Gratitude journals, gratitude jars, gratitude whatever. Do whatever works for you, but absolutely cultivate gratitude. And I use the word cultivate, so you... You plant seeds, you know, think of it as a garden in your energy, in your heart, in your mind, whatever works for you of planting those seeds of the things that you are grateful for. Okay, disclaimer, I am so ADD that, you know, (laughs) we discovered recently that people with ADD, ADHD, have issues with object permanence, right? So if I can't see it, I forget I have it. I am so visually organized, but I've learned to work with it. And when I heard that, that that we are challenged with object permanence, well, yeah, hello. And so 
A gratitude journal, a gratitude jar is great as a visual reminder that there are things I'm grateful for. I have a lot of power I'm not standing and claiming in. But once I stand in this gratitude, I reclaim that power and I know I have it to use. Has been a huge turning point in my life. And I want to get back to that little girl who just is full of love and joy and gratitude and owns her power. And it just is. It is who she is. That's gratitude. And then the last is boundaries. My next podcast, which will come out next week, is on boundaries. And I posted on Instagram and on Facebook and and you can message me, you can email me at arlia at thewomensanctuary.com, wherever you can find me, about boundaries. If you have questions, send me your questions, because this is a big topic. In fact, one of my Facebook friends just posted last week, like, she's, you know, late 40s, early 50s. She's like, I, I need help with boundaries. Send me your resources. So it's always a, a work in progress. Now, there are some of us who are who were born with boundaries, right? <laughs> but born with boundaries as a shield, as a wall up between us and people. Some people were taught really good boundaries. I'm not one of them. I was not taught good boundaries. And if you're like me and you weren't taught it and you had to learn it the hard way as an adult, I'm here for you. <laughs> I'm here for you. We'll figure it out together. And I've I've... I've been learning over the last 10 or 15 years how to have them. Boundaries are either soft or hard, but they're those, those fences. And those fences can be pretty white picket fences or they could be big concrete walls. But they define who you are, what's okay for you, and what isn't okay for you. And then the task becomes, can you communicate that with others outside of you? Can you hold them for your own self? Can you honor them for yourself? And can you honor the boundaries other people have set for themselves? In my work with leadership development, we talk about how boundaries are your values expressed. So what's important to you? That's the quickest way to get to your boundaries. What's important to you? And in doing that, you then honor your own boundaries. You honor your own values. And then once you can honor your own boundaries and express them, you're much more empathetic to other people's boundaries and you don't take those personally. Hello? (laughs) How useful is that? If someone says no to you and if they use it as a complete sentence and they don't give you an explanation, what are you going to do? Are you going to crumple and take that personally? You could, but you don't have to. Doing that for yourself to say, this is not okay. And you either remove yourself from the situation, you ask that person to leave, whatever the solution is, you have just honored your own self. And the more you do that, the stronger you get. You're standing in your power. And the more you do that, the easier it gets. Okay, sometimes it's still hard. It is still hard, but hopefully it does get easier. And so as I work with these four, what I see are boundaries are like the fences. Um, 
Actually, the image I'm using for this podcast is a is one I took. I believe I was in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and there were these fences. Well, it's just they were fences between the dunes and the beach, and they weren't very strong. You know, they didn't contain the dunes. They kept the people off of the dunes. And it was really just more of a suggestion, you know, don't walk here. But it works. And they were permeable little wooden things with slats, you know, not huge concrete walls, but they worked. Beautiful image of a boundary that was effective and simple. So if you imagine this gentle wooden fence that represents your boundaries. And inside of that is your queendom, if we call it your, your, your castle, your life, whatever, however you want to envision your, your life. And if you operate within that queendom with curiosity and openness and gratitude, I hope you can get a sense of what it is to stand in your power. Now, there's a lot more at play here. There is doing the work to figure out who you are, working with your inner child so that she's not driving your life, and approaching your life from your woman's self and letting her make the decisions and steer. So much more than that. But that's the image I'm using to to help me understand kind of this relationship to my power. And let's return to Brene Brown, living big, boundaries, integrity, and generosity. And this was a big idea for me. It took me a while to wrap my head around it. So boundaries, we've discussed that, what's okay for me and what's not okay for me, and living those values and asserting them. Integrity. Integrity is knowing what your values are and living them, being true to yourself and true to the values you hold. So Carolyn Mace would call that congruence. I call that alignment. And then generosity. And generosity can be a hard one. The way Brene defines it, it is Believing that others are doing their best. Do you, and she asked the question, do you believe that others are doing the best that they can? And a lot of people I know answer no. No, I, I know they could be doing better. I don't think they are doing their best. And that may sometimes be true. But the perspective she's coming from is we all do the best we can with the information we have at the moment and the belief systems we're operating in at that moment. So if a young man goes and steals, old classic example, steals a loaf of bread or let's say a chicken from the grocery store for his family because they're hungry, he had other options, hopefully, but for him in that moment, To him, that was the option he had, so he went and did it. So when someone operates outside of what we understand, then we have to remember they are operating with different values and different belief systems. 
So here's where you pull these three together. Let's say I have a boundary that I won't do drugs. And I've made that decision based on my own values about what's okay for me and what isn't. And holding that boundary for myself is, com- is in complete integrity with my values. So I feel really good about that. And a friend comes to me and offers me, um, let's say I'm really stressed out, really anxious, and my friend comes and offers me a joint. And I politely decline. Well, if that person says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you don't do drugs. Totally cool. That's one thing. But if that person gets upset with me, feels offended, decides that they don't want to be my friend because I don't do the same things they do, then it becomes a choice for me How strong am I in that boundary? And this is where the integrity comes in. If I'm at all tempted by that person's offer, and I'm wavering, and maybe I should, and maybe I want to, I have to fall back on my integrity. Because where my will is weak, the integrity will help me hold that boundary. So if I check in with myself and go, No, I know for sure that my body doesn't want this and I don't want to, I don't want to partake of this. Then it strengthens my boundary to again say no. But the generosity isn't necessary also. So I have to look at that person and say they are doing the best they can with what they have at the moment. And for them, that is to their own belief system consistent with their integrity and they feel fine about it. And if they are not holding my boundary, if they're not respecting my boundary, the temptation is that I will get offended that they are not holding my boundary and I get angry and I might sever the relationship. Here's the thing. It is not that person's responsibility to hold my boundary. Got it? It's not their responsibility. It's mine. Once I hold my boundary, then I have information about them as to whether they will honor it or not. If they don't honor it and they're trying to force me to do something I don't want to do, that is new information and I get to make a new choice. Here's the openness again. I'm open to whatever this information is coming to me as. So they're now pressuring me, and they've crossed my boundary, and they're antagonizing me, or they're pushing it in my face. Now what do I do? This becomes, it can become a tug of war inside of you. And this is where you can access your power. Because you you disentangle, detangle, disentangle, that was good. (laughs) Detangle yourself from their energy. So I don't have to get offended. I don't have to, I might walk away, but I don't have to walk away in anger. I look at that person in front of me and with as much generosity as I can, I can look and say, 
you are having this experience, your values are in a different place than mine, and I may not understand them, but I have enough generosity that you are doing the best that you can. And even if you are trying to cross my boundaries, I know that that's the best you can do. Therefore, it is up to me to enforce this boundary and create safety for myself and integrity for myself and leave the situation. If I were not being generous, then I would say, you should do better. You should respect my boundaries. You should, 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 right? I lash out at them and I tell them they need to respect my boundaries. But here's the thing. If you have generosity, you say, huh, you're doing the best you can. Therefore, I'm not going to expect you to hold my boundary. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to take responsibility for it. So it puts all the power back within yourself to say, is this value important enough to me to stand in my integrity and maintain this boundary? Can I walk away from this person pressuring me to take drugs, feeling good about my integrity, and not making the other person the bad guy? Ooh, how is that for integrity? You know, integrity short circuits the karma. If you make the other person the bad guy, you have suddenly othered them. You have suddenly projected so much negativity and, quote, badness on them that they did not honor your boundary, that that creates karma. That's not clean. So this type of living big just creates this crystal clarity inside of you about what is important to you and how you are responsible for holding it. But with your integrity, that helps you hold it. And then with your boundary, you said, this is my value. This is how I'm going to hold it. And people can do whatever they want to. I'm going to hold it. If they're not willing to honor it, then I have a new choice to make. It is so empowering. So I I use this (laughs) over and over again in my work because it is so empowering. So to wrap up, we have four great tools to help us maintain our and stand in our power. They are curiosity, openness, gratitude, and boundaries. Thank you for joining me today for the four keys to power on the Women's Sanctuary. If you like this podcast, please hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to like it and share it with your friends or on social media. Next week, we'll be talking about boundaries. We'll go in depth with the topic and I'm taking your questions. So feel free to pop them in social media on the Women's Sanctuary or at my Facebook page, Arlia Hoffman, Instagram or even um, on my website, thewomensanctuary.com, or you can email them to me at arlia, A-R-L-I-A, at thewomensanctuary.com. Lots of places to find me. In upcoming episodes, um, you're not going to want to miss this, I have a guest coming who is an Episcopal priest, 
and she's going to talk about her own spiritual awakening and what that meant for her as a priest and a feminist. So that's going to be fascinating. Can't wait to talk with her. So stay tuned for future episodes. Um, We'll have some other guests coming up. And if you have any topics you'd like me to talk about, feel free to also email me and message me and let me know what your interests are. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you here again next time on The Women's Sanctuary. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.